0: A year or so ago, we had the opportunity to visit Hawaii, which had been a bucket list vacation for our family. So we packed it all in, driving around the island, eating fresh pineapple every chance we could, shaved ice, fresh fish for every meal, beaches, snorkeling, and everything else we could think of. And one of the activities I was most excited to do was a laymaking class. So I signed us up. I can't say everyone was as thrilled as I was to take the laymaking class, but I certainly was. It was so fun learning about the tradition of laymaking, how it started, and all of the fascinating details to making a flower lay. One of the most interesting things for me was the long needles called lay needles that we were using to string the fresh orchids our teacher had picked from her yard that morning. I happened to be sitting next to her, so she and I began talking about the needles, And then we got talking about hand sewing, and when she found out I was a quilter, she then started telling me all about Hawaiian quilting, which was so intriguing to me. She suggested a local quilt shop on the island, so one morning my mom and I made a trip to visit the shop and see all the beautiful Hawaiian quilts and applique projects that were there. I was so fascinated with the process of Hawaiian quilting, which is a technique of cutting large botanical motifs out of a single dark piece of fabric and then raw edge appliqueing it to larger squares of lighter colored fabrics. The shop owner was working on a pillow cover while we were there and she was nice enough to show me the process of turning each raw edge under and appliqueing it while stitching it down. She showed me how to do both inner curves and outer leaf shapes and each method is different but she was an expert at both. After we left her shop armed with more fabric than we intended to buy, isn't that always the case, and a kit to learn raw edge appliqueing, I started thinking about how this tradition of women and some men of making beautiful things with their hands looks different all over the world, but it is such an innate process. One of my favorite quotes says, The desire to create is one of the deepest yearnings of the human soul, and I truly believe that. It is a yearning of the human soul. Creating with our hands is a practice. Whether an artist on a canvas or my poor first attempts at raw edge appliquing, it's a process that must be cultivated. It takes work. It takes making things that look bad. And it takes being okay with all of those stages of getting better. I remember my first quilt I ever made, with all its wonky stitches and skewed edges and binding that looks as if I was trying to make it wavy. It's a piece of work. But when I finished, I was so proud of it. It was imperfectly perfect for what I could do at the time. And it's become one of our favorite quilts to cuddle under as a family. It's had spills and stains and just gets softer with every wash. It's become a thing of joy. Not for its wonky stitches, but for the memories that it holds. And for the memories it holds me when I was creating it.
1: This is Liz and Elizabeth from Simple Simon & Company, and you are listening to Stitch. Today, as we celebrate our 10th episode, we'd like to introduce you to a new segment that we'll be adding to the end of each and every future episode. It's called I've Got a Notion, and we'll give you a brief history of some of your favorite sewing tools. So stick around at the end of the story and find out why your pincushion is shaped like a tomato. Traditional Hawaiian quilts have a very distinctive and recognizable style that was born from a combination of cultural heritage and Western influence. The quilts are striking, radially symmetrical floral patterns applique with bold colors onto a white background with skill and precision. And all done by hand. If you haven't seen one of these quilts, I promise it's worth the Google. Now, before I continue, I think it's important to note that in this particular podcast, I'm going to attempt to pronounce some Hawaiian terms, and I am confident that they will not be pronounced correctly. This mispronunciation is absolutely not from any disrespect, but solely from my limited linguistic skills. So please keep that in mind as we proceed with the rest of this episode. With that said, here we go. It is probable that quilting as we know it today didn't begin in the Hawaiian Islands until the 1820s with the arrival of missionaries and explorers who carried with them Western fabrics. Cotton is not indigenous to the islands and has never been cultivated there which meant that residents had no access to cotton fabrics prior to the 1800s. However, those living on the islands had created their own beautiful and intricate form of bedding called kapa moe. Kapa is a textile constructed from the inner bark of trees. The bark is beaten and felted together to create a cloth that is both smooth and soft to the touch. From there, the cloth can be dyed, cut, and used to create a kapa moe. This kapamoe moe is a traditional bed cover that is made in layers, much like a quilt. However, unlike the layers of a quilt that are all stitched together and bound with binding, the layers of a kapamoe are only connected together at one end. This allows the one using the bedding to be able to adjust the amount of layers slept under according to the warmth needed. Cool, right? And speaking of cool, I also read in several histories that occasionally these sheets would be scented with fragrances from native flowers. Doesn't that sound heavenly? Even though there were several layers to this bedding, only the top layer carried a design. These designs were dyed and stamped with geometric prints. From this point, there is some dispute over what influenced what. Did the floral cotton fabrics that were introduced in the 1800s influence the designs from the kapa moes to create Hawaiian applique? Or did the geometric designs influence the newly introduced way of quilting with cottons? Either way, a fusion was created and it is fabulous. By the late 1800s, solid cotton cloth had become more accessible to those on the islands and the unique Hawaiian applique style reminiscent of a large fleur-de-lis was here to stay. Incorporating local flowers, plants, and vegetables, these bold designs begin with a floral center which is surrounded by an arabesque design that covers the entire quilt top. These designs always radiate from the center and are symmetrical on all sides. These designs are also created using only two colors, one for the background and one for the applique with white usually being the background color of choice. Once colors are chosen, the pattern is made much the way one would cut a paper snowflake, but using cloth and on a larger scale. After the motif is cut, the applique process begins. It's all raw edge applique by hand, stitch by stitch until all the pieces are firmly in place. But the quilt still isn't finished. Unlike the kappa moe, these quilts have all the layers sewn together. And again, this is done all by hand. Thousands of tiny even stitches are quilted through the layers, sometimes in straight or diagonal line patterns, but most commonly in echo quilting patterns. Echo quilting is a technique where the stitches repeat the design of the original motif in a closely radiating pattern. When this is the technique used, it really highlights the shapes of the applique designs. I cannot imagine the time, skill, and especially the patience it would take to create one of these magnificent quilts. Between the hand applique process and the hand quilting of these intricate pieces, the patience it would take is tremendous. For those who create these quilts, It truly must be a labor of love on which they leave a very personal touch.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by Baby Lock. February is National Embroidery Month, and to celebrate, Baby Lock is excited to share some great deals with you on their user-friendly embroidery machines. Take advantage of these limited-time offers so that you can have the machine of your dreams. Learn more at www.babylock.com promotions. In 1843,
1: Lord George Pollock claimed the Hawaiian Islands for the British and ordered all Hawaiian flags to be destroyed. And it was at this time that another famous Hawaiian pattern was born. This well-known design is called the Kauau Hawaii Aloha, which means My Beloved Flag or Lost Beloved Flag. This design typically includes four Hawaiian flags surrounding a Hawaiian coat of arms or a crown. It also combines both piecework and applique motifs, making it different from other Hawaiian quilts that do not traditionally include any piecework. Many of the original beloved flag quilts made during the overthrow still remain. Symbols of silent resistance during a time when displaying symbols of the monarchy were considered treason. Historically, Hawaiian quilt designs were taken very personally, from the beloved flag quilts to the reverse appliqued motifs, and each quilt design was given its own name. These names often reflect the inspiration behind the design with the inspiration stemming from dreams, observation, and significant events. And because each quilt was considered special, often they were only used for special occasions, and then passed on from generation to generation with great care, which means that many of these named historical
0: quilts remain intact today. I recently learned that the word create has Latin origins, and that the word literally means to grow from nothing. I love that definition. Creating a quilt is literally taking small scraps of fabric and making them into something beautiful. And that women have been doing this very process for hundreds of years. There is just something comforting in the thought of women all over the world creating items to be treasured in their own unique way with their own personal style. From Hawaiian raw-edged applique quilts, Portuguese women crocheting doilies, to handwoven African baskets, it's all the same process of creating something out of nothing, and it begins with that yearning to create. It has been said that quilts provide a glimpse into the resourceful lives of the unsung women who created them, and that is the truth. Whether those quilts represent something as mighty as silent resistance or a symbol of safety, or created for moments as sacred as childbirth. Those quilts give us insight into the women behind the stitches. Quilters are indeed a unique group, and I am honored to be part of such a society.
1: For more stories, projects, and quilt tutorials, visit us over at www.simplesimonandco.com. There you can find loads of quilt patterns, tutorials, and inspiration. Thanks for listening, and if you have a minute, please leave us a comment or a review, especially if you're listening on iTunes. It only takes a few clicks, but it helps us out a lot. Now, stay tuned for I've Got a Notion. This week's notion is the tomato pin cushion. It seems like everyone has one, small, round, red, pins crammed into the top. But why a tomato? To answer this, we need to hop into the Wayback Machine and head straight for the Middle Ages. We'll arrive somewhere in Europe at the dawn of the 15th century. The Renaissance is just beginning, Columbus is discovering the West Indies, Michelangelo is starting his work on the Sistine Chapel, and tomatoes are all the rage on fireplace mantles. That's right tomatoes on the mantle. Vine-ripened tomatoes were placed on the mantle to ensure prosperity and some say to ward off evil spirits. However, in medieval Europe, fresh tomatoes weren't always on hand, so decorative ones were created using fabric filled with sawdust. It was also during this time period that pins were more readily available to the average housewife. Prior to this time, pins were both rare and expensive and were kept in special boxes. But now that they were more utilitarian and less precious, it wasn't long before those decorative tomatoes next to the hearth became a perfect place to hold those pins as the thoroughly modern medieval mother toggled between chores, From here, we're going to fast forward to the opulence of the Victorian era. Napoleon is the French emperor. Beethoven is composing symphonies. America is heading towards a civil war, and the need for posh parlors was sweeping across both Europe and the United States. And what was trending in all those posh parlors? Why, itty bitty little pincushions, of course. All the ladies had them in a variety of shapes, from dolls to shoes and from fruits to vegetables. And of course, a must have in every collection was the tomato. It is likely that during this era, the tomato was given a bit of a makeover with the addition of a tiny strawberry springing from its stem. This strawberry, filled with emery powder, is a handy tool for cleaning and sharpening your pins, which made the already perfect pincushion even more perfect. And just like that, the tomato claimed her title as pincushion champion and has been a staple in sewing rooms ever since. We hope you enjoyed today's version of I've Got a Notion. And until next time, happy quilting.